Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm concerned, again, because of what I hear from people all across the land, you might say is that they're not getting in-depth preaching or teaching from the Word. It's all so shallow. And I've, I've felt that way for years, that too much Sunday school material and all that, as good as it may be, it's still so shallow. It doesn't get into the deep things. And Paul is admonishing here that we have to let the Holy Spirit take us into the deep things of God's Word. All right, now verse 11. We want to move on quickly. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Now, that is a secular world. How can a child function in the secular world if he isn't taught the things he needs to know to function? Now, of course, that's why uh, we're decrying our education system today. We're bringing kids out of high school and even out of college who can't read or write. They can't fill out an employment form. They can't write a check. What's happened? They haven't even been taught the rudimentary things of the secular world. And they can't function. All right, now bring it into the spiritual realm. Is it any different? No. And see, this is what Paul is going to be dealing with as soon as we get to chapter 3. This was the Corinthians' problem. Remember I told you on one of our previous programs that Corinth was the church that had more problems than any of the other congregations Paul dealt with. And then as we get into chapter 3, in fact, turn ahead a minute in your Bible to chapter 3, and you'll know what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. In other words, they hadn't gone into the deep things. Of course, granted, they haven't had that long an opportunity yet, but nevertheless, I always have to reflect on the Thessalonians. How long was Paul up in Thessalonica? Huh? Yeah, just a very short period of time. And yet he wrote in chapter 2 of that letter, you know these things. Why? Because he'd covered the whole gamut from the rudimentary to the very deep things, and they had grasped it, but the Corinthians didn't. And so he says, I couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Now, we looked at that word rather in depth in our class last night down at Wilberton, that the word carnal here is speaking of believers who have not really come out of the fleshly experience and are still under control of the old Adam rather than the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, when the word is used in Romans chapter 8, there Paul uses the word carnal as applied to the unsaved individual. He is carnal because he is still of the flesh. But here he is speaking of believers who are saved, they're in Christ, but they are still so weak spiritually that he speaks of them even as babes, see? And he said, I've fed you with milk. Now this is an analogy, of course, with the human, isn't it? 
You don't give that newborn baby solid food. You start with milk. Well, it's the same way with a believer. Now, I think that's one thing the Lord has given me is patience with new believers, is that I don't expect them to all of a sudden comprehend all the deep things of God's Word. They don't have to. But you know what I look for? I want growth. I tell my classes, if you aren't more steeped in the Word now than you were a year ago, then I failed. And you fail. God expects growth from his children. But the Corinthians, and this is what's got Paul all uptight in this first and second letter, is that they were still so steeped in the flesh. And he calls them believers. Don't ever lose sight of that. They're believers. They've been born and they've been uh, born again and they've been placed into the body of Christ, but they are still so fleshly minded. All right, now if you'll come back then to where we were in chapter 2. Verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, say the spirit of man is in him. I've alluded to that. That's our whole system of secular education. Even so, I think we could also say in any English, in like manner. See? In like manner, the things of God knows no man, not even the most intellectual, not the most brilliant, not the most highly educated can really know the things of God unless what? The Spirit reveals it. You know, I've said it before in this program. I've had people in my classes and... Uh, Boy, they said, Les, I, I just don't get what you're driving at. You're just going over my head. Well, you know, I'm kind of blunt sometimes. And I said, well, once you come to know the Lord, you won't have that problem. And that's basically it. You know, the unsaved person can't comprehend these things. They're a closed book. But once we enter into a salvation experience and we've been born again by the Spirit of God, the book opens up. You know, there's nothing that thrills me more than when someone writes or calls and says, Les, it's just like you turned on a huge light bulb. Well, I didn't turn it on. The Spirit did. And then, of course, these things become so understandable. All right, reading on now in the, in the, uh, in the text here. Verse 12. Now we have received. Past tense. And he's not speaking of himself only. He's speaking of those to whom he's writing. <clears throat> now we have received not the Spirit of the world, See, Paul didn't put them through grade school and high school and college, did he? He took these people and he began to teach them, as he says later in the, in the letter of Corinthians, the preaching of the cross. That's all Paul knew, Christ crucified and risen from the dead. All right? But the Spirit which is of God, verse 12, that we might know the things that are freely given to us, not by Paul, but by whom? God, see? Oh, the Creator, Sovereign God is the one who reveals these things to us. And we have to look at it in that light, that we are not attaining this knowledge in the energy of the flesh. It's all as the Holy Spirit works, of course, coming through the Word, and then He reveals it freely. Now verse 13, and then we're going to go to the board for a little bit. Which things also we speak? What things? The things that are of the Spirit of God, which man's, are not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth. And how does Paul teach? Comparing spiritual with spiritual. 
Now what does that mean? Your whole eternal destiny, where you and I will spend eternity, is it going to be in this glorious place that Paul has alluded to, or is it going to be the opposite? Well, how are we going to know? You and I can't look at someone and say, oh yeah, you're a Christian. I can't. No one can look at me and say, yeah, you're a Christian. They don't really know. That's only that God can discern. But I've always maintained, I know what I am. You know what you are. How? By lining ourselves up with the Word of God. Now, I learned this years and years ago. When a young lady come bouncing into one of my home Bible classes, and she said, Les Feldick, do you teach such and such a heresy? And I said, well, that's what I teach, but I didn't realize it was a heresy. And boy, I mean, she just lambasted me for a few minutes, and I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. On what basis do you think you're going to go to God's heaven? Well, she said, I've done this, I've done that, and I've done that. I said, well, that's great. Can you show me from the Word? Well, no, not really, except that Jesus did say, suffer these little ones to come unto me and forbid them not. And uh, I said, that's it? Well, she said, I think there's a verse that says, go into all the world and baptize them. I said, that's it? Well, yeah, that's pretty much it. In other words, you're basing your whole eternal destiny on bits and pieces of just two verses? Boy, I had her backed into the corner. You know I did. I said, all right, now let me tell you why I have the hope that I have. And boy, I showed her verse after verse after verse, and it was for the benefit of the whole class. And we just compared Scripture with Scripture. Well, now all the wind was out of her sails. You know what she said? Well, she said, if I had a salvation like that, I guess I could be as sure as you are. Sad, isn't it? But yet that's where multitudes are tonight. They have, they have settled on something that is just bits and pieces here and there, and they really don't even know where that's at. And I maintain you have to know what you are, where you're going, based on comparing Scripture with Scripture. And then you're on solid ground. All right, let's show that for a moment. Turn back with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're just going to give you an example of what we mean by comparing Scripture with Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's go over to verse 19. And of course, we'll use 20 and 21 as well. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 19, 20, and 21. Now remember what we're going to do. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. Now Peter writes in verse 19, We have also a more sure or a more certain word of prophecy. And I don't think he's dealing here with telling the future. He's dealing here with the word as it means to speak forth the word of God. We also have a more sure or certain word of prophecy. Whereunder you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Now, you want to remember the day star, I think, is that reference in Revelation that Christ is the bright and morning star. 
and he is going to appear in all of his glory at the very beginning of the millennium, that's back there in Revelation, which will be the end of time and human history as we know it, and he is going to be the bright and morning star, and I think that's also what the Holy Spirit is implying here from the pen of Peter. All right, that at the very onset then of eternity, and the day star rises in your hearts. Now verse 20, knowing this first, better get one thing straight, no prophecy. Now again, I'm not using the word as it speaks of telling the future, but rather as the word is being sent out. That's what the, the gift of prophecy was back there in the early church. It was gifted men who simply gave forth the word of God. All right. Now he says that no giving forth of the word of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Now I know this is a little hard to understand. When you speak of something private, what do you speak of? That which pertains to one person. That which is yours. That's your privacy. All right, carry it over into the scriptures. Nothing that God has sent forth to us of the human race is all wrapped up in just one verse. See, this is why a lot of people get hung up on Bible study. They say, well, why didn't God make it a little plainer? Why didn't he make it simpler? Well, you see, God knew he wasn't dealing with third graders. For the most part, God dealing with adults. And so what does he know we have the ability to do? Search the scriptures. And how are you going to search the scriptures? Comparing scripture with scripture. And when you compare scripture with scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you're on as solid a rock as you can get. And that's all I beg people to do. Search the scriptures. Don't go by what I say. And so Paul Peter is making it so plain. Don't build your eternal destiny on one verse. You're going to end up in the wrong place. But you build your eternal destiny on a series of doctrines and teachings that fit from cover to cover. All right, then verse 21. For the prophecy, or again, the speaking forth of God's word, came not in the old time. And of course, that goes back to the Old Testament writers. It didn't come in the old time by the will of man. Now, you know, I've alluded to this on the program years ago, not recently. You know, I have read the skeptics and the scoffers, and they will attribute especially the Old Testament to nothing more than stories that came up around the old ancient campfires of Israel. And as they began to compare stories, and after generations and generations of verbalizing, somebody finally said, well, we should be writing this stuff down. And so that's how they got the Old Testament. Well, that's ridiculous. Peter says nothing, even in the Old Testament, came by men dreaming it up. None of this came by men going out and researching, well, what did the people up in the tribe of Dan think about this? Or maybe we should go check with those down in Benjamin. No, that isn't what they did. But as the Holy Spirit caused them to write, Moses wrote, David wrote, Elijah wrote, Jeremiah wrote, see? And then, of course, you get in the New Testament, it's the same thing. All right, but, Peter says, they didn't come by the will of man, but as holy or separated, set-apart men of God spoke as they were what? Moved, or today we use the word inspired, by the Holy Spirit. Now then, if the Holy Spirit is the author of this book, then you know there is no confusion. 
See, that's the first thing the scoffer says. Well, it's a book of contradictions. No, it isn't. Everything fits if you'll just compare Scripture with Scripture. All right, let's go back and uh, let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That'd be in Genesis. Chapter 3. Genesis, chapter 3. Now we're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. You all with me? Verse 3. Eve is being confronted by the serpent, the devil. And uh, verse 3, she continues, that of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, see, that, that sets it in concrete, doesn't it? God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. That, of course, she added. But whatever. What would be the result? Lest you die. Now, I always call this the very first law of man's dealing with a holy God, is that if he's going to disobey the revealed will of God, it's sin, and he's going to die because of his sin, a spiritual death as well as physical. All right, now let's move on up to the book of Ezekiel, and let, let's see what Ezekiel says. Verse 4. He repeats it again, I think, down in verse 20, but we'll look at verse 4 first. Ezekiel 18. I didn't give the chapter, did I? Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. Verse 4. Behold, I'd like to wait till you all got it. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. But here's the part I really want you to underline or take note of. The soul that sinneth, disobeys God. What's the result? It'll die. No ifs, ands, buts about it. What did he tell Eve? Well, maybe I should put this on the board. Back in Genesis 3, he said to Eve, The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now here in Ezekiel 14, 18, verse 4, he says basically the same thing, doesn't he? The soul that sinneth shall surely, what? Die. All right, now go all the way up, if you will, to Romans. Chapter 3. And we'll look at various verses there. Romans chapter 3. Now, this is comparing Scripture with Scripture. Did Ezekiel disagree with Eve? Not one iota. Now, will Paul disagree with Eve and Ezekiel? Not one iota. Romans chapter 3. Let's look at verse 9 first. What then, Paul says? 
Are we, Jews, better than they, those Gentiles? No, in no wise. For we have before been proved that both Jews and Gentiles are all under what terrible word? Sin. In other words, every Jew that has ever lived, every non-Jew that has ever lived, has been guilty of disobeying the revealed will of God, and that is what? Sin. See how it all fits? All right, now then, he goes on up into these verses from 12, 13, on down through 20. Horrible description of the human race. As bad as you can paint it. And then the conclusion, of course, is always wrapped up in chapter 3, verse 23. Here's the conclusion. For all Jews and Gentiles, black and white, rich and poor, they have all what? Sinned. Now, remember, my definition of sin is real simple. It isn't the adulterer alone. It isn't the drunkard alone. But it's anyone who has disobeyed the revealed will of God. That's sin, see, in any of its colors. And Paul says, all have done that. Every one of us are guilty of having gone against the revealed will of God. And so now, just in three sections, and there's many, many more, I've been able to show you, and let's see, I've got to get the right verse, that's 9 and 23. All right, in Romans 3, 9, and then again in verse 23, we find that all have sinned, now I'm contracting here, all have sinned, consequently, now turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 5. So all have died, spiritually again, is what we're referring to although they're also going to die physically. All right, now I said 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Verse 14 and 15. Now, I'm just doing this to show what we mean, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, chapter 2 now, compare Scripture with Scripture and then there's no eluding it, or eluding it. There is no compromising it, because it all fits. All right, here we go. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then they must have all been, what? Dead. See that? I got to remember one of my pastors years ago. He says, folks, do you realize we're living in a world of dead people? Now, that kind of slaps us in the face for the moment, but that's exactly true. We are living in a world full of spiritually dead people. All right, read on. For if one died for all, then we're all dead, and he died for all, that they who live, see, there, we're not talking about corpses, we're talking about people who are spiritually dead, then they should not henceforth live unto them, themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. All right, turn a little further in your New Testament to Ephesians, chapter 2, a verse that's well known. Now Ephesians chapter 2, I better get these up on the board to you, or our listeners will be missing out. 
uh, we went on to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What was the verse? I've forgotten. 14 and 15. All right. Now we'll go to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 1. And I think that'll be sufficient for this line of thought. We only got 30 seconds left, so let's go fast. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, as he writes to the Ephesian believers, And you, he hath made alive spiritually now as a result of their salvation. You who were, past tense, dead, where? In trespasses and sin. How did we get there? We were born in it. Adam, the federal head of the human race, plunged every one of us into that kind of a state. And so we're born spiritually dead. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Felding. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one 800 369 7856. That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick.